Hey, y'all. Have you ever heard of Old Gods of Appalachia? Well, if you haven't, you have now. Let me tell you. This is a horror anthology podcast, and it is absolutely amazing. They have characters. They have actors. They have different people doing voiceovers. It is so ridiculously dope. Y'all got to check this out. Um... I'm, I'm like, I'm enthralled. I'm, I I can't stop listening to it. This shit is crazy. And I got to tell you, all the actors are, they're straight, they're queer, they're black, they're of color, they're male, they're female, they're they, thems, they, thems. They just, this thing is so diverse, man. And, and there's, there's actually some poets involved with this that I actually admire. So this is a big deal. Y'all got to check out Old Gods of Appalachia wherever you listen to your podcasts. Hey, y'all. You ever heard of an amazing young woman by the name of Zinzi Smith? Well, I have. And her and I had just an amazing conversation on Beyonce's internet. I will have you know that 20-year-old Zinzi Smith has her own black woman-owned business for an entire year now teaching spin classes. And let me tell you, she's enthusiastic. She wants the world to know that she's ready to help you shed them pounds from Thanksgiving and Christmas and help you keep up with that New Year's resolution that all of us middle-aged people like to make while we're still making them. So I, for one, am going to try and take one of her classes, just $15 for an online class with Zinzi Smith. She also teaches in person in studios in Brooklyn and in Queens and NYC. And all around, I got to tell you, I am just in awe of her. So you can reach out to her on Spin With Zin. That's Spin With Z-I-N on TikTok and on Instagram. And let her know that you heard it here on Black Fluid Poets Podcast. And you trying to shed them pounds and keep up that New Year's resolution. You feel me? So, give her a shout out. Let me know how it went. Hey, y'all. So, check it, check it, check it, check it out. I just came across a new clothing line that is amazing. It is Jupiter's Art. This is a clothing line for non-binary people, right? So the clothes are genderless and uh, they are also sustainable. Um, There's carbon offset and they don't add anything negative to the environment. And they're also um, an ethical company with fair pay for their employees and they welcome uh, anyone in the spectrum of LGBT and race. It is owned by people of color and they deserve your attention. You can find Jupiter's Art on Instagram, on TikTok, and you can search for them on Google and find the website. It is amazing. Check it, check it, check it out. Wait till you see this jacket. Oh my God. It, it is amazing. Y'all, you got to peep it. Jupiter's Art. Check it. Hey, y'all. Your fam, Black Fluid Poet. 
Check it out. If you love this podcast, I want to thank you for favoriting the podcast because it means the world to me. However, the way I can get more advertisers is to have more subscribers. If advertisers um, see that um, I have a lot of subscribers, they will be more willing to give me opportunities to advertise for them. So in order for me to get these ads, I need to get to a decent amount of subscribers. So you come here to anchor.fm and you go to support and you can pick 99 cents, 4.99 or 9.99. Please feel free to pick 99 cents. I, I, I am overjoyed at anyone who wants to support my dream of getting this podcast taking off. You know what I'm saying? So please just consider it. If I could get a thousand subscribers, I could get out of this poverty thing. You know what I'm saying? Because, yo, the struggle is real. Y'all take care. Hey, what's up, y'all? It's your friend, Black Fluid Poet, a.k.a. John S. Blake, coming to you from my humble abode of books during this pandemic paradise where the quarantine is no longer cute. I hope you're having a fine evening. This is January 28th here in Albuquerque. It's 11.15. And this has been... This has been a roller coaster of a day on my feelings. I'll tell you right now, y'all. This day was... filled with joy and gratitude and plans... And then I got a beautiful coffee cup in the mail. Shout out to Coco Beans. You can find her on TikTok at C-O underscore C-O underscore B-E-A-N-Z. She made this beautiful coffee cup with a woman's face drawn in and her afro made of jewels that she hand placed on the cup. It is a remarkable piece of work. You got to check her out, y'all. And at the same time that I opened my door to get that package, my landlord was standing there with a 30-day notice for me to move out. That's, (laughs) and that is what I would call life on life's terms. You dig? That's life on life's terms. There's going to be good and there's going to be bad. Now, of course, the landlord can't put me out. But he's anticipating, since I'm down here in the hood, that I'm one of those people that doesn't read. But as I say at the beginning of every podcast, this is my humble abode of books. So I had knowledge for that ass. Um, And when I mentioned to him that there is a moratorium in place, he began to stutter. But just to cover all the bases, I'm going to talk to legal aid tomorrow just to make sure, just to reaffirm my own thoughts. I don't blame him. I don't know how he can do it, but I don't blame him. I've been out of work since a week before Thanksgiving. So December and January just hasn't come. Credit cards maxed out. And the last time I had some money, I bought groceries. So, you know. It's a choice that I had to make. And the truth is, whatever's going to happen is what's going to happen. I can only do what I can do. Um, 
I am not going to belabor my friends' wallets. You know, um, I had to borrow money from my friends to pay off some bills. And when my scholarship money came, my friends got their money back. Did I know the rent wasn't paid? Yeah, but that's okay. What was important is that I paid them bills because you know why? Because when I was ripping and running, and even when I wasn't using, when I was in recovery and still using people, I knew that the right thing to do would be to give my friends the money that they're owed because that was their hard-earned money. And let me tell you, my friends loaned me a lot of money and I gave them my word they'd get it back. So when my scholarship money came, they got their shit back because that's what I do now. So, People have asked me more than once how I stay sane, how I stay so calm when things are so crazy around me. And it's funny, you know, the day I graduated from high school, my mother was in her second year in jail. And she wasn't at my graduation, even though she... She broke her back making sure I finished school. And I knew that when she went to jail, that was what I had to do. I had to finish school. And there were people, when I wanted to quit, there were people that reminded me that quitting, although was an option, was not the best option for my future. And when I finished high school, uh, school asked me to say a little speech. And I had never, you know, I had never done a speech before. So, I thought of some people who are brilliant, who have been spoken about in many an English class, and I remember coming across a poem by Rudyard Kipling, and I'll probably, I'll probably screw this up, but the first line of the poem was, if you could hold your head about you when all others are losing theirs and blaming it on you, and I used that line to start the speech I gave. And I don't remember anything else about that speech, I'll tell you that now. I was nervous, I whispered. (laughs) I don't think anybody could hear me. But I will say that um, that line stuck with me. It stuck with me throughout the years. Now I'm talking, that was 1988. And I remember it like it was yesterday. If you could hold your head about you when all others are losing theirs and blaming it on you. That is some prolific shit. I'm not going to talk about how racist Rudyard Kipling was because that's not the topic we're on. But I remember, I don't think I've told y'all this story yet. I think it was an Easter Sunday definitely was an Easter Sunday. I couldn't have been older than seven. Um, I don't, my memory doesn't go back any further than kindergarten. So I was somewhere between the ages of five and seven. I know that because when I turned eight, we moved 
out of the projects in New York City. But I remember one Easter morning, um, I came out and I saw my mother. You know, I'm rubbing my eyes, little kid, in my little satin yellow-orange pajamas. And uh, I remember walking out, and all I saw was my mother's back. And my mother was a big woman. My mother was at least 300 pounds for my entire life. I've never known my mother to be less than 300 pounds. And I remember she's sitting there with her back facing me as I'm coming down the hallway. And she's sitting at this little table in the living room. And I could see the cigarette smoke coming out from where her head was. And I walked up and I walked around to the side. And uh, she didn't look happy. She, she didn't even react when I walked up. She just had this cigarette extended out of her mouth with a long ash. <laughs> I remember the ashtray was full of cigarettes, which told me that my mother had never gone to sleep that night. She sat there in that chair the entire night smoking cigarettes. She had all these papers in front of her. I know today that those papers were bills. But I just remember all the envelopes and they had that cool plastic window on them, you know. Now when I get one of those envelopes with the cool plastic window, I just want to throw that shit in the garbage. <laughs> but she had all of these papers folded everywhere and the torn envelopes and she had this little stack of money and she was going, these motherfuckers, these motherfuckers. And she'd shake her head and lean back, grab a cigarette. She'd go to flick the ash in the ashtray, but the cigarette ash would just get all over her and she'd just wipe it off. She'd put the cigarette back in her mouth. And she'd talk to herself. And I swear to God, I, you know, I'm sure she knew I was there, but she didn't react at all. And she's looking at it. She goes, yeah, but if I pay you, then these motherfuckers are going to come after me. And I said, Mom, are you okay? And she said, oh, honey, just looking at these damn bills. And uh, I said, are we going out today? Because it was Easter. And I must have been older than five because it had been a pattern at that point. And I said, are we going to Coney Island today? And uh, she said, no, honey, we're not going to Coney Island. And I remember I whined. And I was like, how come we're not going? And my mom turned so abruptly towards me that it shook me. And she banged on the table with one of her hands and she turned towards me and she goes, because I ain't got no motherfucking money. Is that okay with you? Ungrateful motherfuckers. All they ever want. Can I have? Ma, give me, give me, give me, give me. And I stood there afraid to move. And I just remember crying. I remember crying because my job was always to make my mother happy. And she wasn't happy to see me. I fucked up. And I, I remember how overwhelmed I was with this guilt at that moment. And she kept mumbling, these kids, these motherfucking kids, all they goddamn want. And she started yelling, you know, away from me. Like she was talking to somebody on the other side of the table that just wasn't there. But she was like seriously having eye contact with this non-existent person. 
She's like, you believe these motherfuckers? Always, always. It don't matter what the fuck. They're never satisfied. She lit another cigarette. She went back to looking at the bills. Now, I'm still standing there. This is maybe a good 10 minutes back then. It must have felt like a half an hour. And then I remember her leaning back in the chair. Catching her breath. And then she turned to me and she said, you want to go to Coney Island, huh? And I, I don't remember what I said. I, I want to say that I said, we don't have to. It's okay. And then I want to say that I nodded yes, which is probably more likely the answer because I know I was really emotional at that moment. But I can't tell you for, for fact. And then she said, Go on in the back room and wake up your brother and sister, your brothers and sister. And uh, I said, okay. And I went in the back. And uh, I woke them up and <laughs> everybody woke up differently. All right. The first person that I woke up was my oldest brother, Benny. And I woke up Benny first because Benny was the gentle giant. He was the tallest and he was literally gentle. I don't think I ever saw or heard my oldest brother, Benny, angry, ever in my entire life. Never heard him, never speak an angry word to anyone, which in the projects, it's a rarity. You know, anger is the second language in the projects. You know, when you're in poverty, you're going to be mad at least half the week. So... I woke up Benny first because I knew I was going to need backup because Laurie and Frankie did not like to be woken up. And Laurie was already half awake. And I remember waking up Laurie and I said, um, Laurie, Laurie. And she goes, what's my yelling about now? <laughs> and I said, Ma was mad because I asked her if we we're going to Coney Island. And then I tried to wake up Frankie and Lori backed me up. <laughs> She's like, no, no, no. I'll wake him up. Frankie, Frankie, Frankie. And he woke up. Why? What the fuck you want? <laughs> and Frankie must have been 17 at the time. Benny was uh, probably in his 20s, late 20s. He was the oldest. And uh, when Frankie woke up, Frankie wanted to fight. Like, Frankie was violent. He was angry all of the time. I don't think I saw my brother Frankie happy until, I think, when I spoke to him about six months ago. It was the first time I'd ever really had a happy, loving conversation with my older brother. And uh, so he must have been, like, either 16 or 17. Laurie was probably about 15 at the time. And... Uh, so Laurie said, don't you fucking yell at me. And then they started to have a little argument. And I hear my mother way down the hall in the kitchen. Going, God damn it. I don't want to hear nobody fucking yelling in my motherfucking house except me. God, these fucking kids. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is Easter Sunday, y'all. <laughs> this is Easter Sunday in the project. So, um... So 
we all get up, we all get dressed. My mother's like, you know, come get something to eat. And so we all, you know, we all do our eating. And then my mother tells Benny, Benny, I want you to run downstairs and catch me a cab. Now there is now in hindsight, that is 2020, I can look back and understand why my mother always sent Benny to get the cab. First of all, Benny was six feet tall, white, blonde hair, blue eyes. So he was a big target and he was a white dude in his predominantly Puerto Rican neighborhood. So they probably, every cab driver probably assumed they were going to give him a ride all the way up to Central Park West. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> it was like, he just did not belong, you know? Um, but Benny would hail the cab. And while Benny was hailing the cab, we all got dressed and ran downstairs. So by the time we got downstairs, Benny's got the cab waiting. So I said, Ma, where are we going? She said, just shut the fuck up. Get in the cab. <laughs> So I get in the cab, and we take the cab over to, um, where was that? I can't remember where the train station was. I want to say we went to West 4th Street because we took the train from there that took us straight out to Coney Island. Now, I didn't know we were going to Coney Island. So... An interesting part of the story, and I remember this like it was yesterday. We get down there. My mom buys us tokens. You have to put the tokens in. We didn't have no little subway cards back then. And uh, you had to give them money because only tokens went in the machine. So you had to go up to the counter. We gave them money, gave us tokens, take the tokens. We go through the turnstile. And they never paid for me. Lori would just pick me up and go through the turnstile. (laughs) So... um, we get through the turnstile, we get downstairs, we get on this train. I couldn't tell you what train it was, but I know it went all the way out to Coney Island. And so we get on the train and my siblings are in their gang colors. Welcome to the seventies in New York city. And my brother and sister were in two different gangs. And sometimes they bring those fights home. But uh, so we get on the train and there weren't a lot of seats. And uh, there was this one spot where I could sit down. And my mother wanted me to sit because I didn't have the balance of the grown-ups being on the train, rocking back and forth, braking, gassing. So my mother said, John, sit down right there. And it was like this little spot between the end of the bench and where this man was sitting. And when I went to sit down, he stomped his foot wider and looked at my mother. And I don't think that this man understood what he just did. But my mother said, is there a problem, sir? And he said, I don't want this fucking kid sitting next to me. And my mother said, Nigga, I didn't ask you what the fuck your problem is. I want to know why your leg can't move. And this man said, I'm not moving my fucking leg, bitch. (laughs) And my mother said, I don't give a fuck what you think you ain't going to do. You're going to move that leg. Frankie and my brother grabbed this man 
by the front of his shirt. I can't tell you what he was wearing, but I want to say the lapels of his sport coat, but I don't really remember if he had a sport coat on or not. It was April, so he might have had a jacket on, but my brother grabs the front of him and snatches him up, and the guy just throws his hands in the air like he doesn't want no problems. He thought he was just cursing out this white woman, but when my brother, you know, in his darker complexion and afro with his gang shirt on, grabbed him, all of a sudden shit changed. And then another, another person next to him slid way over to the other side. And my mother said, John, sit down. And I remember I kind of froze again and I looked at my mother and she goes, sit your ass in the chair. <laughs> And then I jumped on the chair, you know. And so we on this train and I'm like still, I'm still butthurt, right? Because my mom just cursed me out, told me I was an ungrateful child, an ungrateful bastard and every other damn thing. And I don't want to ask my mother for nothing now because my mother's like, that's all these kids ever do. Gimme, 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 gimme. My mother used to say, gimme, lend me and have you got. That's their goddamn names. So... I'm not looking at my mother. And I remember I stared out the, the subway window. And we were still underground at that time on the train ride. And there were these lights. Sometimes they were red. Sometimes they were blue. Sometimes they were white. But they would flash by. And I would get lost. I did that a lot as a child. I got lost. I got lost a lot. If we went to department stores, I used to climb into the little racks where all the clothes were. And I would just sit there and just get lost. I remember going to parks and just getting on the swing. And all I wanted to do was get on the swing and lean back and look at the sky and watch the sky rock back and forth. I remember watching TV and I wasn't necessarily watching the program that was on. I was just lost in the TV, like the light of it. I just, I guess it just, anything that wasn't home, you know, I could sit by a window and stare at the sky for hours. And I remember my mother, she used to have to tap me on the back of my head because calling my name didn't work. That's how gone I was. So I'm on the train and these lights are going back and forth. And back then, there was something with the circuitry of the subway where one car of the subway would go dark for a second, and then the next car would go dark, and then the next car would go dark, and then the light would come back on, and the light would come back on, and the light would come back on. And I remember I used to look into the, the car in front of us in the direction we were going. And whenever that light went out, I would look at the lights above. And those lights would go out. And that shit fascinated me. And... Next thing I know, the train goes above ground. It was this bright light that just filled up the car. And it amazed me. Like, I just, I didn't know the train could do that. Or I knew and I always forgot because we didn't ride the train very often. Like, I don't think I ever left Manhattan most of the time. And my mother rarely took the subway because she was so heavy. She didn't have the 
just the physical capabilities to be up and down all the stairs. And it was just a lot for her. So I remember just the whole train car just filled up with light and the sound of the train got softer because there wasn't the echo of the tunnel. And it it was almost beautiful. No, it was definitely beautiful. It was like a new world happening, you know? It was like dark, dark, dark and loud and scary and then beautiful. And uh, I remember Benny sat next to me and he kind of, he held my back so I could stand up on the on the bench and look out the window. And um, after a while of that, my mother goes, John. And I said, huh? And she said, go over to the other side of the train. And the train had emptied out a little bit by that point. And she said, Benny, take him to the other side of the train. And I didn't know what that was all about, but... You know, he picked me up. He said, come on, man, let's go over here. And we went to the other side of the train. And Benny always cheered me up. He could tell I was still scared. He was like, you okay? And I said, yeah. And he said, mom yelled at you this morning, huh? I said, yeah. <laughs> and he giggled. And he's like, it's going to be okay. <clears throat> she does that a lot, but she loves you. And I said, yeah. And he said, I love you too. And I said, I love you too, Benny. He said that a lot to me. He said it a lot. God, I miss him. But then eventually, he says, look, look over there, look over there. And I remember looking, and there were all of these big circles of multicolors. And I didn't know what it was, and the circles were moving. And then the next thing I know, I see the Wonder Wheel, the giant Ferris wheel in Coney Island. And I realized the moving circles are kids' rides. And I remember just being like excited, but I didn't want to be too excited because I didn't know what would set my mother off. You know, and you don't, you don't realize the shit you went through as a kid until you take time like right now. This is why I talk a lot about, at least on my TikTok, I talk a lot about journaling. Because you learn something new about yourself. And even as I'm telling y'all this story, I am becoming aware of how much anxiety I actually had as a kid. Like, could you imagine being in the first grade and plotting and planning your behavior ahead of schedule to avoid being humiliated or beaten? And I just remember being so excited, but being really quiet. And he said, Benny said, we're going to Coney Island. This is Coney Island. And I remember I smiled and I looked at him. And he was like, we're going to Coney Island. And he started screaming on the subway. And my mother's like, Benny. And he's like, Ma, it's Coney Island. Now, let me tell you, Benny has been high Benny was high on heroin from the time he was probably 13 or 14. And I can honestly tell you that I have never seen my brother Benny clean. I've never seen him sober. Benny was high from my first memory to my last. 
And he did not give a fuck about my mother's anger when he was high. <laughs> then he starts yelling on the train. This is Cody Island. We're at Cody Island. And then I finally went, yeah. <laughs> and I jumped off the bench into Benny's arms. I remember that. And he spun around on the train and we almost fell. And my mother's like, God damn it, Benny. And the other people on the train, mind you, are not reacting. Some of these people have been on the train with us since Manhattan. And they remember my brother Frankie snatching this dude up out the chair. So I'm sure they're not thinking twice about having any kind of complaints. Besides, back then on the subway, people made noise and nobody really reacted. You know, people used to bring their radios blasting on the, on the train and everything. Now people call that rude. Back then, that was just life. People minded their business a little more. Sometimes maybe too much, but I digress. So we get to Coney Island. We get off the train. And I don't remember if I was still holding Benny's hand or if I went to my mother. I probably went to my mother to show her my gratitude. I think I said thank you, but I don't remember. But I probably did. And... I can't remember my mother at some point saying, huh, huh, thank me now. I don't know where we're going to live. <laughs> and I didn't know what any of that meant. But we get up on the boardwalk of Coney Island and it's, it's at the beach. And uh, my mother walks us over to this bench. And we sit down on the bench. Well, she sits down. And she says to us, all right, look. I'm going to give you all this money. Ride whatever rides you want to ride. Eat whatever the fuck you want to eat. But after today, don't ask me for shit. And she handed Frankie, Lori, and Benny money. And I don't remember how exactly we split up. But at some point, I remember Lori saying, John, come on. And I remember Frankie and Benny going, Lori, don't do this. And she's like, shut up. John ain't no punk. You ain't a punk, are you, John? Now, the right answer is no. <laughs> and I said no. But the honest answer was yes. Yes, in fact, indeed, I was the punkest of punks back then. I was the punkiest of Punkerville. <laughs> I was a wimpy, peaceful non-violent kid who wouldn't even step on roaches and I'm sure there's a family of roaches that to this day can go back to their ancestors and be grateful for me and my harmless ways <laughs> <laughs> but at some point my sister took a walk with me and I remember the roar of the cyclone just the sound of it scared the shit out of me I remember seeing how high it was. Now, y'all ain't going to believe this. But in the early to mid-1970s, there was no height requirement for the cyclone. And my sister paid this man some money and said, come on, John. And I, was, I said, uh-uh. <laughs> and I remember backing up. And at some point, Frankie, Benny, and Ma were there. And I... What I'm thinking is Benny probably told my mother, Ma, you got to go get Lori. She's trying to put John on the cyclone. 
Now, I was like a first or second grader. But my there's my mother, this Benny, this Frankie, and I kind of run towards them. And Lori goes, come on, John, he's not going to give me back the money. Come on. And at some point, <clears throat> I said, there ain't no fucking way I'm getting on that fucking ride with you, motherfucker. And my mother damn near pissed herself. She laughed so hard. All four of them, all four of them busted out laughing. Because for the first time in my life, I stood up for myself. Now, in hindsight, it was probably from being stressed the fuck out the entire day, a ball of anxiety. I'm finally someplace I want to be, and my sister's trying to kill me. That ride killed people. I heard the rumors of people flying off that ride. Kids talked about people dying on that ride. Kids told me they saw people die from riding that ride. I was not getting on that ride. And my sister leaned down and whispered in my ear. And I said, okay. And I took her hand and I got on the roller coaster. And child, I had never been so scared. To this day, that was the most scared I have been. I was in North Miami 12 years ago, copping crack in a neighborhood I had never been in. I made the cab drop me off there. And the guy I was about to walk up to, to cop the drugs, had a guy there talking to him. The dude who was dealing shot the dude that was arguing with him. Dude fell. And I stood there in shock. And the dude goes, what's up? What you want? And I was like, yeah, let me get 50. <laughs> and that was less frightening than the sheer terror I experienced when they pulled the bar onto my chest. That's how small I was. The bar is supposed to go just across your lap, right around your crotch area. Childish thing was up by my chest. You hear me? And when this thing started to go, it didn't like, like all these pretty roller coasters. Child, this is Brooklyn. That thing went, clank, 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 clank. And I looked at my sister who was screaming, And I remember wrapping one arm underneath the bar, one arm over the bar. And my sister goes, John, let go of the bar. Put your hands up. I'm about to do it. And I was like, "Mm mm-mm. And at one point, I opened my eyes. She goes, open your eyes. Look where we are. And I opened my eyes. Bitch, we were so high. My favorite story by Dr. Seuss was Yertle the Turtle. And I was at that place just before Yertle fell back into the swamp. Like, like a, like a million gazillion turtles beneath me. I was way the fuck up there. And I remember I couldn't breathe deep enough. I was so scared. And the next thing you know, she said, here we go. And this thing started to take off. I don't think I screamed. 
I think I held my breath. I clenched my eyes shut and I held on for dear life and it hurt. The metal bar did not have all this cushion shit. I remember it had like a little padding, but it it, it didn't help. And the whole seat was made of metal, steel, bolts, you know. And I remember rocking back and forth and my sister's weight slamming me against one side of the coaster. And this thing was excruciating. And at some point I opened my eyes and we were about to go into like this little makeshift tunnel made of just wood squared around the entire shape of the roller coaster. And it looked like the wood was going to hit me in the face. And I shut my eyes again and then this thing went up and down. And then like towards the end of the ride, there were a couple of little hills left. I opened my eyes and I started to laugh. And at one point I got scared again. But my sister cracked up laughing, screaming this whole ride. It was like I wasn't even there. She was on top of the world. And it was one of the few times that I saw my sister happy. So we got off the roller coaster. And my sister said, see, I told you. And I think I smiled, but I don't remember And my mother said, how the hell did Lori get you on that roller coaster? And she said, go ahead, John, tell her. And I said, Lori promised me if I got on that ride, I wouldn't be scared of anything ever again. So when people ask me, how come... I'm not worried about the eviction, when I'll go back to work, how I'm going to make it. I can honestly tell you, I rode the cyclone at six years old. After that, nothing can stop me. Y'all have a good night. Love you.